Welcome to Make Me Your Voice with Pastor David Bartowell. These messages are intended to deepen your faith and trust in a living God who speaks to us with hope and reason. Today's message comes to us from the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. Good morning. As said earlier, the world in which we live is filled with a lot of disaster and commotion and chaos, and it's good to be in the presence of the Lord with His people to get us back on course. We do pray for those who have been hurt and injured and uh, the families of those who have passed away in these shootings, and I pray that Jesus would take a hold of their heart because He's the only one that can set us free. Many people have what's called drinking problems. I think a lot of people would say, yes, that person has a drinking problem, but I don't think many people would say, I have a thinking problem, right? But if you go online and you look at the survey that helps you see if you have a drinking problem, and if you change the word drinking to thinking, let's see if this applies to you, okay? Here are three questions that come up on the survey of whether you have a a drinking problem. How often during the past year have you found out you were not able to stop thinking once you started? (laughs) How often during the past year have you failed to do what was normally expected of you because of thinking? And how often during the past year have you had feelings of guilt or remorse after thinking? It all starts up here, ladies and gentlemen. It all starts up here. Due to our past experiences, due to our past memories and how we interpret those memories, our brains have become washed with lies. We, because of sin, fall short of the glory of God, and we struggle with these things called anxiety and depression, stress, and it comes out in our behavior, and it comes out in our attitude about ourselves and about who we think God is. It clouds everything. In fact, it begins with our thoughts, and it leads to feelings which lead to behavior. That's how it goes. Our behavior is a byproduct of our feelings, which is a byproduct of our thoughts. Now, once someone comes to Christ in faith, guess what? We receive something new. We receive a new spirit, but we also receive a new mind. Read 1 Corinthians 2.16 with me. But we have the mind of Christ. Who's the we? The church. Does it say we could have the mind of Christ if we'd only try really hard? It says we have the mind of Christ. Here's the problem. Just because you have something doesn't mean you know how to use it. Right? I hear people all the time, they go, man, you play the piano so nicely. I have a piano in my house. Basically, when they say that, and they don't play, the piano's a piece of furniture. Because here's the truth. Just because you have a piano in your house doesn't mean you know how to play it. Just because you have the mind of Christ doesn't mean you know how to use it. How do you learn how to use the mind of Christ? How do you engage the mind of Christ? You learn Christ. How do you learn Christ? His mind is here. We find the mind of Christ here. So if we want to stop struggling with our thoughts and having our thoughts dictate our behavior, our feelings, our behavior, we need to start spending time in the mind of Christ and let his thoughts overtake our thoughts. Do you know that's possible? 
I never thought it was. I told you last week that this instrument right here is a plumb line, and it's used to get a true vertical. So if you want a true vertical because of gravity, you hang this. Let's say you wanted to hang a door. You'd hang this from the upper joist, and you'd get the correct placement for the lower joist because it's a true vertical. How do we get a true vertical in our life? We have to have a plumb line. What's our plumb line? The Word of God. The Word of God is what gives us a true vertical. Because if we don't have a true vertical, we're walking sideways or we're walking tilted and we're thinking all kinds of things that aren't true. You know that Romans 12, 2 says this. Read it with me. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove that the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So your mind is transformed by the renewing of it through God's word. Now, I want to share two verses with you that were life-altering and life-changing for me. I told you a minute ago that do you know it's possible that you can change your thoughts? Do you know it's possible that God can renew your mind? Well, here it is. 2 Corinthians 10, 4, 5. It says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. When I read that, it's like the light bulb came on. I thought to myself, do you mean it's possible to take my thoughts captive? You mean that all those thoughts coming out of my mind, I don't have to listen to them? How freeing is that? Those two verses changed my life because here's the thing. As you might know, I struggled with anxiety and depression my whole life. It came to a peak after my father died in 2004, and I didn't know how to live the way that God wanted me to live. I read about him. I knew about him, but I didn't know. Let's put it this way. I knew the truth, but I didn't know how to engage the truth. I kept thinking, my mind has power over me. That's what I thought. And I came to a crossroads and I read these verses and I said, okay, here's the thing. Either I can continue to believe that my thoughts are more powerful and my thoughts have control over me and live in anxiety and depression for the rest of my life, or I can start to believe that God's thoughts can control me. That's it. So I hope as we go through this sermon today, and it's It's a lot to talk about today because many people struggle with these things. I hope that we can discover true freedom because it's the truth that will set us free, but we have to engage the truth. So according to those two verses, let's go through these one by one according to the passage in 2 Corinthians. The first thing we learn from that is the battle is real. This is not stuff that's just been made up. The battle over our thoughts is a real battle. Do you know that the first step to healing is admitting you have a problem? If you don't admit you have a problem, you stay in what's called denial. And as we know, denial is not a river in Egypt, right? In her book, The Struggle is Real, Nicole Eunice writes, The struggle is the frustrating place between who I want to be and who I actually am. 
But if you don't know who you are, if you haven't opened up the Bible, or if you're not hearing the truth on a regular basis, you're going to think the way you think is who you are. See, that's why I'm preaching this sermon series. That's why I'm writing this book, The Truth Heals, because it needs to be written. This sermon series needs to be preached. This is why I do what I do, because I believe that this is the truth, and when engaged, can set you free. When believed and acted upon, it can set you free. The truth heals because the truth is about God and what God thinks of you. And you are part of his story. And so if you engage yourself in his story about your life instead of your story about your life, you can truly be free. Peter Kreeft, a a theologian, writes, you might think you're reading the Bible while all the while it is reading you. That's how the Spirit works when it engages with the Word. Realizing there's a battle between good and bad, truth and a lie, is the beginning of freedom. Because after all, if you don't know your enemy, you can't win the fight. Ephesians 6.12 says this. Read it with me. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So remember, Jesus said, I'm the way and the what? Truth. And he said this to all the people that were there, and he says it to us today. Last week, as we looked at the sermon from last week, he said something specific to the Pharisees and the religious leaders who were against the truth. He said this, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So where do these lies come from? Your enemy. And when you come to the realization that the struggle is real, and it's not a figment of your imagination, you can be on your way to freedom. Secondly, our weapon is God's Word. God's Word is our greatest weapon. God's never going to bring you into a battle without supplying you the weapons that you need to have victory. Ephesians 6.13 says, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Now remember, from verse 4 from above in the 2 Corinthians passage, it says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. In Ephesians 6, Paul lists these weapons. What does he call it? The full armor of God. Do you know that there's only one offensive weapon that he mentions? Everything else is defensive. In verse 17 of chapter 6, he says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So first, you have to have the helmet of salvation on because you got to protect your head. But your greatest weapon for fighting against your enemy is the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. Jesus showed us how to do that when he was being tempted in the wilderness. He didn't try to give his opinion to Satan. He didn't try and argue him out of what Satan wanted to do. He just threw out the Word of God. And the Word of God never returns void. It always fulfills its purpose. So when you use the Word of God in your battle, you have a better chance to win than trying to just gin up some opinion or some psychological theory. 
Because here's the thing. When God's word and God's spirit come together, powerful things happen. Think of creation. God spoke and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And what happened? The universe came into existence. Do you know that when God's word and God's spirit came over your life, you came into existence, not just physically. When you were born again, when you were regenerated by the spirit of God, you became a new creation. You're not that old person. You're someone new. Number three, God has already won the battle. You know that? Where was the battle won? On the cross of Calvary. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ freed us from the dominion of sin and death. But here's the thing. Why, if I'm a new creation, do I still have these old thoughts? Maybe you go to counseling for years and you're trying to figure out why do I keep thinking these things? If I'm a Christian, aren't I supposed to stop thinking like I'm a new creation? Why do I keep acting like the old person? I'll tell you why. It's because of this. We still have our old person hanging around. Okay, we are renewed spiritually. We have the new spirit, the Holy Spirit. We are born again, but this is not redeemed yet. It's like they used to in the old days when Paul was in around the jail. If you committed murder, they tied the dead person to you. So you'd have to hang around. It would really smell, but you'd be reminded of what you did. Well, here's the thing. We still have the old dead person hanging around. And our mind, our brain is part of that. Our brain. So we have to renew. We have to renew our mind in Christ, in the word of God. Galatians 5.17 says it perfectly. For the flesh, which is the body, sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in what? opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you want to do. You may not think the things that you want to think. You may not feel the things that you want to feel because our heart, as the Bible says, is deceitfully wicked. Let's say you're in a battle and your commanding officer has intelligence that you don't have. And he tells you that your battle is with those ships out in the water. That's where your battle is. So what would be the best way to fight ships in the water? Would you send the army? Oh, you'd send the navy. You'd send the air force. Nothing against the army. The army, though, wouldn't do well fighting against the ships out in the water. Well, here's the thing. Your commanding officer, Jesus Christ, tells you there's a battle, and he has way more intelligence than you do. And he's saying the battle is against what you cannot see. The battle needs to be won by engaging the mind of Christ in the sword of the Spirit and the Word of God. Because if you try to fight this battle in your flesh, you're going to lose, and you're going to feel bad doing it. Zechariah 4.6 says, Not by might, nor by power, and read the rest, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts, It's by His Spirit, and the Lord of hosts is reference to the Lord of the heavenly army. You know that God has at His disposal a heavenly army? And He's the Lord over it. So it's way better to engage God's army than try to do it on your own. 
Second Chronicles 20.15, the Spirit said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. The way to lose this battle is to try and fight it in your flesh. Again, Nicole Eunice says, to choose life was to choose to believe God is the greatest and he knows best. To choose death was to choose I am the greatest and I know best. So who are you going to choose? This involves a change of mind. Here's the key to your success. Read it with me, James 4, 7. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You might want to jot James 4, 7 down because here's how you can win the battle against the enemy. It says, submit to the devil. Is that what it says? Okay, no, it doesn't say that. It says what? Submit to whom? God. That's the first thing you got to do. I mean, it's pretty easy. You got to let down I think of a control tower. You got to empty out the control tower with the people that are trying to destroy your life, which are your thoughts and people from your past that have hurt you and all these bad memories that you've interpreted a certain way. That's got to be emptied and it's got to be filled with the Lord and his peace and his spirit and his word. And then you can do as David did when he spoke in the psalm so eloquently. Soul, why are you downcast? It's time to praise the Lord. How does that happen? He cherished and treasured the word in his heart, and he engaged it. Let me tell you something. What I'm telling you today is not as easy as just taking a pill or anything. What I'm telling you today, though, is going to last way longer than a pill, and it's going to change your life if you're willing to do the hard work, because I'm here to tell you it's not easy. I wish that I could just sleep on the Bible at night and just by osmosis it would come into my heart and then I just have it in my mind and then it would just like come out of my mouth that ain't gonna happen you know we spent a lot of time memorizing and studying a lot of things as the church we need to renew our mind in the subject matter of God number four we fight against pretense pretense is something that's not true in fact, Paul said in that passage in 2 Corinthians, we demolish arguments and every pretension. That word means something high and lofty. It could be an opinion that is given stature over the truth. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So remember last week when I talked about what is truth. And by the way, if you didn't hear that sermon series, I really encourage you to get there. Do it, watch the video or the podcast because it really sets the foundation for what is truth. Because if we're not buying into this as truth, then we're not going to get anywhere. Remember I told you there's two types of beliefs in our world. There's what's called absolute truth and relative truth. We live in a very relative truth society where truth can change according to majority or how people feel or whatever, you know, how the wind blows. And I'm telling you, that's not truth. That's opinion. Truth never changes. It's objective. It's based on an object outside of ourself. If we can't have that truth, if we don't live that truth, we're like a ship off course. We're a ship without a rudder or a plane w- without a pilot. 
Okay? So we fight against this pretense. The question is, who are you going to believe? Will you believe God or you will believe a lofty opinion? There are a lot of those, right? We live in a society of lofty opinions. Here's what I suggest. Choose to believe the Bible as the ultimate source of reality for your life. If you choose to believe the Bible as the ultimate source of reality for your life, you'll be on the right track. Number five, I can have victory if I submit my thoughts to Christ. I can have victory if I submit my thoughts to Christ. And I already told you that God has already won the battle. He's just waiting for us to believe that and to get there. The only way it's going to happen is if I submit my thoughts, you know, my whole life, including my thoughts, to Christ. And then you will be on the path to healing and freedom. So we're going to play a little game called the thought test. These are five things I've learned about how to turn a thought around. Because remember, you can take thoughts captive. How do you do that? Well, here's questions to ask yourself about your thoughts. The thought test. So let's say a thought comes into your mind. The first thing you should ask it, is it true? Then the second thing you should ask yourself, is it absolutely true? Then you say, you ask yourself, how do I feel when I have this thought? I feel bad. I feel like I'm a bad person. Would I feel differently if I didn't have this thought? Yes. Well, then all you do is turn the thought around. Remember that song? (laughs) Yeah. Turn the thought around. Take it captive to Jesus and his word. So let's go through some examples. We'll start with a lie and we'll move to the truth. Lie number one, God is mad at me. That's how I lived my whole life. God was mad at me. If I didn't perform well enough, he's mad at me. I live a performance-driven faith even after I was born again. I felt like God would only love me if I performed well. I perform well in my ministry, in my marriage, in my family. Listen, I have a friend who was a chaplain of a big Christian college. And he told me that one of the most discouraging times he would have would when these young students would come in for counseling. And they'd be talking about stuff that they're dealing with and struggling with. And he would ask them this question. If Jesus were in the room right now, would he be smiling at you or frowning at you? He said 90% of the people said frowning. And they're Christians. They're believers. I don't know about you, but that's a recipe for depression. Jesus is not frowning at you. He died for you on the cross. He loves you that much. Now, do we screw up? Do we let him down? Yeah, but he's not frowning at you. He's saying, I love you. Come on, let's go. You're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. We're going to do this together. So what's the truth? You turn the thought around. Romans 8.1. Read it with me. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We can quote this, right? We can quote it till we're blue in the face. But unless you believe it for yourself, you're sunk. Why well, I know, Pastor, that's for everybody else. But man, I'm a screw up. I've done so many bad things. Hey, if you're in Christ, you're not a screw-up. You're a new creation, and God doesn't screw up. Because if there's no condemnation, and I'm beating myself up saying, 
I'm this, I'm a bad person, God hates me, everyone is mad at me, and all these thoughts come in, you should say, you know what, stop, stop. God says that there's no condemnation. So who's condemning you and your programmed brain? So here's another lie. God can never use me. I'm useless. Now let's go through this. Is it true? God can never use me. Number one, is that true? Is it absolutely true? No. How do I feel when I have the thought, God can never use me? Useless. Right? Would I feel differently if I didn't have that thought? Yeah, I'd feel like more productive and useful. Well, turn the thought around. What does the Bible say? Ephesians 2.10, read it with me. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them except Shauna. (laughs) Or except Mike. Or except Art. Does it say that? No, it doesn't say that. It says everybody is useful in Christ. And not only that, he already has things that he has prepared for you to do. All you got to do is walk in them. Okay, let's go. Oh, but I'm not that good. Oh, I'm not a public speaker. Well, you're going to be one because that's what I have planned for you. You know, what's behind door number three? You know, I'll take door number two, Bob. No, no, door number three is for you. But I like door number two because... It's got a beautiful car in there. Yeah, but door number three is like so much for you. I died for you. And then we plan, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we plan this for you. And if you just walk in it, you're going to be like the most joyful person in the world because you're doing what God made you to do. Lie. Why does it seem that only bad things happen to me? Felt like that? When's the other shoe going to drop? Listen, maybe you grew up like I did in a dysfunctional family. We all do. Maybe you were abused. Maybe you have a disease, a disability, a disorder. All those things are difficult to overcome. I know. I get it. But if you see them in the light of Scripture, you will see this. Read it with me. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. See, here's the thing that you have to see. Maybe bad things will happen to you. But what if those bad things are not only going to be turned around for good, but God's going to use that bad thing in your life to turn someone else around for Christ? Why was Paul in prison? Did he do anything wrong? Did people come to Christ because he was in prison? Heck yeah. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Did he do anything wrong? Did people come to faith in Christ because of the cross? Heck yeah. I know this is a real battle. I've been through it. I struggle with it. But here's the thing. When I was in rehab during that week where I wanted to literally take my life, in the middle of that week, there were two other girls that were there, and I was such a zombie, I didn't even know what I was saying or doing. But something I did or said affected them because I remember when they left, They pointed me out, and they came to me, and they said, listen, I just want to thank you for your faith. It helped me through it. I said, my faith? Something God shined through me in the middle of prison. And that's not to say I'm a great person, but that's to say God is a great person. 
2 Corinthians 5.17, I hinted at it. Read it with me. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come, except for David. <laughs> except for Bob. That's what people think. Oh, yeah, other people are new in Christ, but man, I'm like this horrible person that I still am. I do the same things over and over again. Listen, you start believing that, you'll fill your brain with lies. This is the crux of the problem. Let's say you have a closet with new clothes that are made just for you. They fit perfectly. And then on this side of the closet, you have old clothes that were for the person earlier in life. And you go in the closet and you go, which outfit am I going to choose? I like putting on that old outfit. So you put it on, you go, man, it doesn't fit too well, but that's who I am. No, throw that garbage away. Put on the new things, the new clothes that God has for you. In fact, he says, put on Christ. Quit trying to fit into the old clothes. You're not that person anymore. You're not a victim. You know, we hear this a lot. And listen, I'd say that with all due respect because many of us have been victimized. But if you're a victim, then the cross is meaningless. You're not a victim anymore. You're a victor in Christ. That's what you need to start thinking of. Meditate on Philippians 4.8. You want to jot that down, Philippians 4.8. Because here's what we should be thinking. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. And where are these things found? In Christ, in His Word. It's part of His mind. You know the spiritually minded people are the happiest people? Not because everything's going right in their life, but it's because they see these things as just a momentary time. Something that's happening just momentary. And as Jesus set His eyes on the cross for the joy that's set before Him, We do the same thing. We all have a cross to bear. We all carry our cross. But we set our eyes beyond the cross. And here's the cool thing. We don't set our minds and our hearts and our thoughts on something that's going to happen, although some of that will happen. We set our minds and thoughts something that already happened because the Bible says we're already seated with him in the heavenly realms. That means it's a done deal. Yes, physically I'm here, but the guarantee has been given. The Holy Spirit is in us. That means it's done. We don't have to worry about it. And when we focus on that, we're spiritually minded. Now, I'm going to end by going through a little passage here in 1 Kings 19, because every week I want to do a finding yourself in the story, because I think we can find with all these problems, when I think about thinking problems, I think about relationship problems, We'll talk about health problems. We'll talk about image problems. We'll talk about cultural problems. We'll talk about future problems. All these problems can be found in the Bible. And when we put ourselves into the narrative, then we're part of God's story. So let's find ourselves in 1 Kings 19. First of all, I'm focusing here on depression. But I want to tell you, anxiety and depression go hand in hand. In fact, uncontrolled anxiety can lead to depression. Here's what I mean. Start with stress. You have that? Stress can lead to anxiety, which leads to depression, which makes you sad. Now, this is uncontrolled stress can lead to anxiety. And when that's not controlled, can lead to depression. And then you're sad. Now, I want to say there is such thing as clinical depression. I've had it. Medical problem. And I'm here to tell you today, there's a disclaimer, I am not a medical doctor. 
So please do not go to your doctor and say, my pastor told me to get off my medicine. Don't do that. But I'm here to tell you that there is something better than even medicine. It's God's medicine. I had clinical depression. I went on medication for three years, and it was like wearing a bandage or a crutch when you break your leg. And I was grateful for that because it helped me get through a very difficult time. And by the grace of God and the prayers of God's people, I was able to come off it after three years, and I've been off all medication for over 10 years. That doesn't happen all the time. I get that. But part of it was I had the belief that because I had the mind of Christ that I didn't have to be controlled and dominated by my own thoughts anymore. I just take them captive. And I want to tell you that exercise of taking the thoughts captive, it was literally, I would say, five years of training for a marathon. Because at first, I had to test, you know, God says, okay, if you believe me, try it out. So I would get like a thought a second. Is that true? And I go, oh, no, that's not true. That's not what God says about me. It was constant. It was like a constant battle. And I can tell you, thank God, though, and that was hard. It's hard. But if you get through it, it'll get a little easier every day because you'll start to have the Word of God. Now, here's the thing. You can't do it without reading and ingesting and meditating on the Word of God because if you don't have this, you might as well not do it. But we have the Word of God. But now I can tell you, I maybe once a day, twice a day, I start to get those old thoughts, you know, oh, you're a failure, you know, let so many people down. And here's the other part of it. Maybe I have done something wrong to someone else. I should go and apologize. That's part of being a mature person. But if I did something wrong against God, I should also apologize. That's the awesome thing. We don't have to be berated by these negative and condemning thoughts. If there's something we did wrong, if we committed a sin, whether in our thoughts or behavior, we can go right to God and say, I'm sorry. Now, what God say? He's faithful to what? Beat the heck out of you till tomorrow? No. He's faithful to forgive you. See, this is how you engage the mind of Christ that you have. Now, nowhere in this passage does it say the word depression in this Elijah passage. So we're assuming something, but I think we can see the downgrade and he ends up in a cave by himself. We can see what's happening to him. So number one, depression is a byproduct of fear. In 1 Kings 19, verse 1, you might want to turn there as well. He says, now Ahab, who's Ahab? He was the king of Israel, of the northern kingdom, told Jezebel, his wife, all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So here's what happened. God called Elijah on the top of Mount Carmel and he lets him go through a lot of berating and mocking. The prophets of Baal were making fun of Elijah. So he's under a lot of stress. And every time Elijah builds an altar, they dump water on it because he's going to call down fire from heaven, right? So they're thinking they're winning. But then God totally blows them away. Fire comes down from heaven. The whole place is burnt up and many of the prophets are killed. And they go, wow, that God must have something different than our God. But he's on a mountaintop. So have you ever had a mountaintop experience? You're at a camp, a Christian camp, or you're at a seminar, you're at church. Wow, man, God really spoke to me. Here's the problem with that. Inevitably, you come down from the mountain and you don't engage what you should engage. 
Well, here's physical examples of what I mean. You know, every year we go up to Mount Hermon, which is a beautiful place in the Redwoods, north of Santa Cruz. I usually lead worship and recently been leading with Sierra. I've been doing that for 20 years, for a week in the summer. So we went up there one year and we had an incredible time. We come back and our whole bottom floor is flooded. So we had to deal with that. Three months of that and this and that. Oh, man, that's never going to happen again, right? So we go up a couple years later, come back, the whole bottom floor is flooded. So I learned every time we leave, we turn the water to the inside off. But here's the thing. That was, I believe, Satan's way of trying to discourage us from the mountaintop experience. And it seems that the attacks escalate after these experiences. In verse 2, Elijah does something incredible. God does it through him. Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. Jezebel, I mean, I don't know if you know a lot about her, but she was like a tyrant. She talked her husband, King Ahab, into allowing the idols and the gods of Baal and his prophets into Israel. Needless to say, Jezebel was peeved at Elijah for getting rid of all her prophets and priests. So she says this, Elijah, basically she says, if you're not dead tomorrow by this time, I'm going to die because I'm going to go after you like there's no tomorrow. And in verse 3, it says, and Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. Now, Elijah's fear is probably valid since Jezebel's the queen and she has a very powerful position and her husband wants to protect her. So I'm sure, but here's the thing. He says he was afraid of something that didn't happen yet. So that's where you go. Is it true? Is it absolutely true? Is it a possibility that could be untrue, right? Yes, but he's already there. And here's the thing about fear. Fear can be valid or it can be not valid. And that's false evidence appearing real, which leads to stress, anxiety, depression, which makes you sad. It's a nightmare that's not real. It's the disaster that never happens, and it's the product of your own imagination. Have you ever watched a bad movie? Like it's in the middle of it, I can't take this anymore. What do you do? Just subject yourself to the bad movie. You turn it off. Sometimes we got to turn off the movie. It's not real. I had someone tell me once, because I'm struggling with panic attacks. He literally says something to me that, look down at your shoes. Okay, where are your shoes? I go, they're right there. He goes, that's right. That's where you are. You're not in tomorrow. Some of us got to look down at our shoes. We're running from Jezebel, and she's not even chasing us. Next, depression can lead to destructive thoughts. So here's what happens. Elijah went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. He requested for himself that he might die. He said, I'm tired. It's enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am a failure, just like my forefathers. Now, is it true? Is it absolutely true that Elijah was a failure? No. See, this is why you can't trust your feelings. You ever heard the term catastrophizing? According to psychcentral.com, this is what it is. Catastrophizing is an irrational thought a lot of us have in believing that something is far worse than it actually is. Catastrophizing can generally take two different forms, making a catastrophe out of a current situation and imagining making a catastrophe out of a future situation. And that is where you got to look down your shoes. you got to say, I'm here. I'm not there tomorrow yet. I don't even know if I have tomorrow. Now, here's another great thing that I learned. You're getting a lot of stuff here for nothing. I mean, this is amazing. Check this out. Do you know? Do you know? 
that you can choose to not think something. When someone said, you don't have to think about that right now. Why do you mean I don't? My brain was so programmed with thinking about stuff. And then when I learned, I don't have to think about that right now. I can think about something else. That sets you free. In the book, it's called You're Not Your Brain. I would highly suggest you get this book. It's written by Christians, but they're medical doctors, and they come from it from a medical point of view. They talk about something called neuroplasticity, which is the rewiring of the brain. Stroke patients can train other parts of their brain to do some of the things the damaged parts did before. And here's what they also say. They say that the brain is passive. So whatever you put in there, and let's say you have bad memories or things, when you're a kid, you don't cognizantly remember, but happened to you. They get programmed into your brain, but your brain is passive. It's the mind that can control the brain. And we have the mind of Christ. So in their book, they say this. We have what's called veto power over our thoughts. It's the ability to refuse to act on a deceptive brain message uncomfortable sensation, or habitual response. They also say this, the goal of self-directed neuroplasticity is to weaken the brain circuits associated with unhealthy habits and strengthen those that support healthy actions. That's why our brain can be renewed. But here's the thing. We're not doing self-directed. We're doing God-directed. I would tell you and advise you to not use self-directed neuroplasticity. Let God do it through his word. Believe the word. Next, rest will be hard to come by, but rest is what you need. Elijah was tired. And do you know that physical tiredness can cause depression? Have you ever heard the acronym HALT? Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. They often say, if you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, don't make big decisions. Take a rest. Eat something. Because you're not going to make good decisions when you're those things. So in 1 Kings 19, 5, it says, He lay down and slept under a juniper tree, and behold, there was an angel touching him. So God sent an angel to minister to him. And the next, nourishment is important because we have to eat. So he said to him, arise and eat. But more important than physical food is spiritual food. When I was really depressed, the last thing I wanted to do is leave my house. But I knew instinctively that I needed to be in church. Of course, I was the pastor, but I couldn't do anything except sit there and be ministered to. And it was during those times that I was really ministered to. And the word kept coming to me. So it's so important. And then in verse 6, 1 Kings 19, 6 through 9, it talks more about the angel ministering to Elijah. And then it says, the word of the Lord came to him. And if you continue, I would advise you to read First Kings. Do you know how the word of the Lord came? Because there was an earthquake and there was a fire and there was a this and that in a small voice. We get distracted. We get chaotic. We need to slow down and listen to the word of the Lord, which is often in a small voice. And then the next thing is a good friend can help you. You remember Elijah's best friend? What was his name? Elisha. That would be confusing, right? My mom can't remember our names. Elijah, Elisha, what one are you talking about? But it says in verse 19, So he departed from there and found Elisha. And Elisha became Elijah's not only best friend, but his protege. And I love this saying. It says, Everyone comes with baggage. Find someone who loves you enough to help you unpack. 
and to help you know the truth and to tell you the truth with love because we need truth tellers. And last, even though it's difficult, do not disregard service. Service is extremely important to getting out of depression because all of our depression, we're thinking about ourselves. When we're serving, we're thinking about others. 1 Kings 19 says, And Elijah passed over him and threw his mantle on him. And he says, Elisha, it's your turn. So if you're waiting on God, here's what you do. You do what waiters do. What do waiters do? They serve. Even with all the pain Jesus endured on the cross, he was considering the man next to him. When we're in depression, the last thing we believe in the lie is, I'm useless right now. No, you might be for a little moment. You might need to sit on the bench for a little while, but don't stay on the bench. Here's how I want to end. If you look at the word depression, you know what you could pull out of there? I pressed on. So I encourage you. I know it's hard. I know you know people that are going through this. And I know things could be better. And they will be better. But right now, you look down at your shoes and you say, God, I'm not useless. I can press on by your spirit and your word working in me and through me. And here's the thing I want to say. This church is real. This church is real. We are real. We're not perfect. And we want to help you. I want to help you. So that's why we're here, okay? So let's pray. Lord, thank you for reminding us how powerful your word is and for reminding us how much we need you. You know, some people say, I only need Jesus and that's all. Jesus didn't even believe that. He hung around with people. We need each other. And I'm grateful for this church family where we can be real with our struggles, but I'm also grateful, Lord, that we can be renewed in our mind because we have the mind of Christ. Lord, cause us to engage that mind and to be in your word and to trust your word over our own thoughts and to act on your word and not on our thoughts because our thoughts can really keep us depressed. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor David Bartowell's message reminds us that God speaks to us with hope and reason so that we can be His voice in this world. Please join us again for Make Me Your Voice, a ministry of the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. We would love to have you visit if you're in the area. For more information or to find our location, please visit thegateoc.com.